Hi, I'm Rob, and this is another Rewind and Review. As always, I'm joined by my rewinding partner in crime, Jason. Hello, good to be here as usual. Uh-huh. And today, we're joined again in the studio by Sammy. We figured he did such a great job in uh, with our Unbreakable episode. Absolutely. We, we thought we would bring him back for this one, because we did need a replacement, because our <laughs> producer, James... Had a couple of technical issues yeah, with the other up. episode. Yeah, we're, we're basically blaming him for all of this this delay in this episode. But we're so, good to go now. Yeah, and now you might be saying, Jason, Rob, this is a Christmas movie. Why don't you guys post this episode before Christmas? Yeah. Um, well, number one, yeah, the audio stuffed up, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, James ruined all of that. But also, we figure, you know, we didn't want to put a stamp on this movie. Absolutely. We don't want to say it is a Christmas movie. We also don't want to say it's not. We're going to let you decide that. Yeah. We're going to discuss it, but we'll let you decide. Absolutely. But we'll discuss it and make it up our own minds. But, yes. That's right. Now, regular listeners um, are probably familiar with what this show is all about. But for new listeners, what we aim to do with Rewind and Review is have a look at a property that's been around for a while, delve into its legacy, um, how it's held up over time, and uh, even give our own personal experiences, whether we watched it as a kid or sometime later in our lives. Correct. Now, this movie is celebrating its 30th anniversary in 2018, or it was celebrating. Yeah. Close enough. So close. It was the movie that has been heralded as one of the greatest action movies of all time, uh-huh. and debatably one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. Absolutely. Let's rewind to 1988. We have to go back! Go back, Sam! What year is it? Are you telling me you built a time machine? Nineteen eighty-eight, a year that saw cartoon dinosaurs touch millions of lives around the world. A red-haired doll terrifyingly come to life. Yep. Married couples learning to live in the afterlife, and Crocodile Dundee showing the world how big his knife is. Mm-hmm. But in the mix of fantastic films to grace our screens in nineteen eighty-eight, there was a standout film that coined terms like "Ho ho ho, I have a machine gun." <laughs> Or yippee ki motherfucker. <laughs> we are, of course, talking today about Die Hard. Absolutely, that's right. Directed by John McTiernan, Die Hard follows the story of NYPD detective John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, as he works towards reconciling with his uh, estranged wife, um, Holly Gennaro McClane, played by Bonnie Bedelia, um, at her work Christmas party held at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. During the party, the building and its occupants are taken hostage by a band of supposed terrorists, led by Hans Gruber, who's played by Alan Rickman, with the exception of McLean and his limo driver, Argyle, who's played by Devereaux White. Both manage to um, avoid capture. The cat and mouse games begin as McLean secretly begins taking back control of the building and putting a stop to Gruber's plans, with the assistance of LAPD Sergeant Al Powell, played by Reginald Vell Johnson. At this point in time, I want to say, spoiler warning, yes. but... Who hasn't seen Die Hard? Yeah. Come on. I reckon there's some people out there, but I'm also very confident that those people wouldn't listen to this podcast. If you haven't watched Die Hard, I apologise. Go (laughs) go watch this bloody movie. All right, Jason, give me some of your personal experience with this movie. Tell me about your Um, husband. This is one of those hard ones again where I'm like, when did I first watch this? I have no idea. I don't have a clue. I don't think I was super young, but... Mm. And I reckon it was on television. Was it during Christmas? 
I don't know. But yeah, it was a, <laughs> it wasn't. It was a TV watch, I reckon, the first time. And yeah, it just blew my mind as yeah. like, this is what an action movie is. There's people shooting each other. Bruce Willis is sweaty. Yeah. And yeah. This is a gritty action film. F- explosions and stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to talk about it but in, in the legacy, but this kind of reinvents the whole whole genre. All right, well, my experience, um, I'm a huge fan of this movie. Um, I saw it when I was a kid, around about the 10-year-old mark, thereabouts. Probably too young to be watching this movie, but so be it. Now, it probably played once a year on free-to-air, so I would always stop whatever it was I was doing and I'd watch it, um, even if I was a little kid. Now, um, I've probably seen this movie over 20 times, but I hadn't seen it in the last decade with the exception of, you know, a re- the recent viewing for this, for this course, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk Legacy. Now, this uh, movie had a budget of $28 million and it made a box office of $140 million, which, eh, in 88, that's pretty, that's pretty good. In 80s dollars, that's a lot of dollars. Yeah, I reckon. So it was considered a critical and financial success, yeah. as you mentioned. However... Um, with the following decades since its release, that's really where the legacy has taken hold. Yeah. It's now being praised as one of the greatest action films in cinema history. I, oh yeah, I can definitely see that. Now, uh, critically, um, well, from Rotten Tomatoes point of view, it has a 93% or an 8.5 out of 10, um, which is uh, it's a critic score from 74 reviews. It's a 94% score with the audience score, and there's over 573,000 ratings. A lot of people seen this movie. A lot of people like it, apparently. A lot of people rate it, <laughs> absolutely. Um, moving forward, we've got a Metacritic score of 72 out of um, 14 reviews, which is ridiculous, an audience score of um, 5.7 out of 10. So, yeah, it changes a little bit, but Cinema Score gave it an A+. Out of their A to F scale. The standard scale. Now, yeah. Roger Ebert. Yes. Now, he's a tough man to please. Yes. Well. We mentioned him previously. Yeah. You know, he, his level of film is really up there. Mm. Um, and with that, he disagreed. He gave it two stars. Now, he cited uh, specifically the deputy police chief character single-handedly undermines the last half of the movie. Yeah. Now, you agree with this. I do. Um, not just this, this character, but I guess pretty much anyone in authority. Yes. So any cops yeah. besides that one cop. Uh, yeah. Uh, all the two cops. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, the FBI agents, all that. Yeah. I think they're always terrible. Um, so I do agree with Roger. But I do say, what I feel anyway, is that um, even though those characters are crap, they don't really detract from the overall quality of the movie, I feel. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they're a little bit shit in a way because it's contrasting or juxtaposing how good the other characters are but we're going to talk about that a little bit later um now this film is it's based on a novel called nothing lasts forever by roderick thorpe in 1979 and it ranks number 20 on empire's uh 2017 list of greatest movies of all time um and out of that uh oh sorry and additional to that um hans gruber is ranked number 17 and john mcclain Ranked number 12 on Empire's 2006 Greatest Film Characters of All Time. So it's getting accolades all over the shop. Everywhere. You mentioned that book. I just want to sidestep and jump in there real quick. Yeah. You know, the book actually had a sequel in 1966. No, I did it not. It was called The Detective. Yeah, right. Now, the character named Joe Leland, who is the John McClane character, yeah. in the book, obviously, a different name. Now, there was a movie adaption of The Detective in yeah. 1968 with um, Frank Sinatra as mm-hmm. Leland. Now, I might have said just now that 
it had the book had a sequel. The book was a sequel to the detective, yes. yeah, which makes more sense. Sorry. So yeah, the detective had a movie. Frank Sinatra played Leland, yeah. who again is the McLean character essentially, mm-hmm. and he was contracted to play Leland in any sequel. Now, when they started developing this this Die Hard movie, which yeah. was based on the second novel, Nothing Lasts Forever, technically Sinatra had to be asked first. Yeah. Legally, it all had to happen. Um, and so he was. Yeah. Clint Eastwood even bought the rights to, to make this film. Um, yeah, right. But things went in different directions. Yeah. And then we did obviously end up with this version of what eventuated to be Die Hard with Bruce Willis in the role. Well, I'm really glad that this is how it's played yeah. out. With a different name, certain story points, but... Yeah. Overall different direction. Uh, all right, a couple more legacy points. Um, it was nominated for four Academy Awards. Um, didn't win any, but they were sound effects editing, film editing, best sound, and best visual effects. Um, and the score by uh, the music by Michael Kamen won a BMI TV Film Music Award. So there was a bit of accolade there. Um, now, you're already aware of this audience, but the film has, to date, and I don't know if this will change, has spawned <laughs> four sequels. So we've got Die Hard 2, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is the third one, Live three or free or die hard, which is the fourth one, and a good day to die hard. You're getting a bit more naff, and that's the fifth one. Um, the franchise has grossed over 1.4 bill and um, has generally received um, positive critical responses, with the exception of the fifth film, which was terrible. And then naturally, with the legacy, got to point out that there is the Christmas movie debate, and we're going to talk about that later. We're going to get nice and deep and dirty on all of that. We're going to save it till near the end, maybe. Yeah, okay. yeah. Gonna... We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Yeah, it'll be a side note. We're going to get bogged down with it. And on top of all of that, there was also um, PlayStation or Sony released PlayStation games. Um, so there was. Did you know? Was there? Yeah, wow. yeah. So um, play on the PlayStation, the original platform, there was. You could play all three different movies in different levels, different games. Madness. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose before we cap off the legacy there, I mean, the biggest aspect of it is that Die Hard has changed the bar for action films. Yeah. And how many movies, multiple, multiple movies have tried to emulate, I guess, what Die Hard did. Yeah. You know, how many times now does a movie come out and it's like, oh, it's it's Die Hard... On a like okay, on a bus or something, or it's Die Hard, yeah. you know, on a plane, Die Hard in the bush, <laughs> well, and then, and then, and that's real. There's real examples there. You got Die Hard on a bus is speed. Die Hard on a plane is um freaking Passenger Fifty Seven. With, with, oh sure, yeah. yeah. Die Hard. I was on, just being funny. Like, yeah, no, but that, that's 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 how you know movies are labelled Die Hard on a because yeah, this has truly changed the genre. But we'll talk a bit a little bit about that. Let's talk characters. Uh, lead characters: John McClane. Played good one by to start with Bruce Willis. With. <laughs> yeah, good one to start with. Probably the best one to start with, I would say, in my honest opinion. Yeah, I mentioned that book that this, the movie's based on. I, yeah. I won't get too bogged down with it, but like I said, there were some some uh, story elements that they carried over. Yeah. The book actually had the character going to meet up with his daughter, not not his wife, which obviously is the, the mm. plot in this film. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, what can I say? The first thing that jumps to mind when I think John McClane is that he doesn't wear shoes. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny the the Japanese bootleg version of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know how like they always they make like a pirated like cover and yeah. make the put their own little writing on it. There was like a like a subtitle or like sort of like a quote to sort of sell the movie. Yeah, um, and it translated as "unreluctant hero." He has no shoes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, it's so descriptive with that. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, very literal, yeah. and I guess the unreluctant hero does kind of sum up at least John McClane in oh, I guess you could say in all the movies but yeah. mainly this one you know like yeah. he doesn't want to be there mm. 
he's caught in this situation. Yeah. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Or right place, right time, however you want to spin it. Yeah. Um, adapting to the situation. Yeah. Getting it done. Yeah. And like so John McClane, like the way that Bruce Willis plays the character and he does it, he does such a good job. He it's the everyman. John McClane is the everyman. He's yeah. just an average dude, very relatable. You know, you see He's just having marriage problems, you know. He's he's got a lot of, lot to deal with in his own life, and yeah. he's not trying to be a hero. He's just really stuck in a situation. Like he has the skills, the ability, yeah. you know. Like he's got that professional history yeah. with his job and stuff like that. Um, but it, it's it's interesting to look at look at the movies of the eighties, the action films of the eighties, and look at the characters that are in yeah. the lead. Those almost bombastic giant men, those super beings. Yeah. You know, you had your Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. you had Stallone, you Stallone, yeah, Dolph Lundgren, even. You know, you had yeah. these big guys, Beast of Men, Command, and, Commando, I mean, bloody Rambo. All and of I'm that not stuff. saying Bruce Willis is a is a big bloke. Like, yeah. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than you. Although you're looking a bit like him these days. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bold joke. <laughs> By the way, ladies and gentlemen, I have a shaved head now. <laughs> And so apparently I look like Bruce Willis. But anyway, let's keep on going with the freaking but, podcast. I mean, compared to those, let's call them titans, the sorts and eggs and your still alive, <laughs> yeah, Bruce right, Willis on. Is, is on the smaller scale. And yeah. so he, especially back in 88, he, you know, he was more youthful, slimmer. Yeah. He didn't have like the, the bulking... He actually had deal. hair. He's got hair in this. A bit of hair, actually. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. happy to run around in those shoes. Good on him. That makes it worse. You look like an older Bruce Willis. Yeah. Oh, that's much older. worse. Fatter one, probably. Wow. Um, but no, so... And Bruce Willis plays this well. He, he does play the everyman pretty good. He does it in other, other roles. But this is one of those iconic roles that people reflect on and say, you know, this is the new action hero. And that's what he did. He transformed it. He transformed action from being a colossus behemoth of a man to, mm. you know, normal people can, to do, can do this. And it really makes it more relatable. Let's talk. Let's talk about the villain. Hans Gruber. Played by Alan Rickman. The late Alan Rickman. R.I.P., big fella. R.I.P. Sad times. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, look, I have to say, he is one of the most... Chari- um, one of the best villains of all time. He's were charismatic. Say, yeah, I was going to say, like, were you going to say a charismatic he's, he's, villain? I think he's charismatic. He definitely is. And he's, you know, he's... Um, there's that the new trend that the, the this style of action movie kind of created was to to give you a, like a colourful charismatic villain. Yeah, I mean almost similar to outside of like the Bond villains. Yeah, you know, like although it is kind of like that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like he's got that. He's got his he's got a uniqueness to him, a signature, an identifiable. You know, you look mm. at him. Uh, you know, it might just come with the with the hair, with yeah. the accent. It it contributes to it, but yeah, yeah. just the the way he speaks, delivers his lines. Sleek, sort of chilling, yeah. like calm. As you said, charismatic. He creates his character, like yeah. it's on screen, and he just oozes mm. through the screen. And and it's one of his first roles, if not the first role that he was really in, like it major first was, role. Yeah, I think yeah. it might be his first feature film. Yeah, which is so incredible. You know, like this performance, it is. It's it's remarkable. It's memorable, and it's his bloody first theater like feature film. It's incredible. Mm. Um, but, you know, everybody now knows, you know, Hans Gruber is, you know, it's not Christmas until Hans Gruber's falling from Nakatomi. I love that. I love that. that. I love it. It is. And it's just to see Alan Rickman's it. face falling. Um, How many times does Alan Rickman fall from things? You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Harry Potter. If you're... Did he fall from, what are you talking about? Well, you know, Snape. Did he fall? He just gets uh, bitten by stuff. Anyway. What? Bitten by a snake. Right in the throat. Doesn't he fall from a bill? Oh, no, no, that was Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Oh, shite. Yeah. No, the half bro prince does not fall. My bad. My you get, bad. You get bitten. Um, anyway, come on, let's keep on going. <laughs> um, so uh, the uh, yeah, so I, in my opinion, you know, Hans Gruber is one of the most iconic villains, and he's he is 
you see the real threat with him. He's a, he's an intellect and he has a plan and everything is going according to plan. You don't you start off and you don't realize that these supposed terrorists they're not really terrorists at all. They're bank robbers. Yeah, well, and all thieves. of it. And and you find out through pieces that Gruber has got a plan and at some point he wants the FBI to there. He wants this to happen. Wants this to happen. Wants this. And I mean, even his ability to think on the spot where he pretends that he's a lost office worker and speaking with really shit American accent, but still. He does this when John John catches him, and then he convinces John that he's he's a he's a good guy. Yeah. Until you know John reacts a little bit beyond. But but it's more it's more like he's just such a smart like intellectual villain where he that that's the real threat. He's not a physical threat. He's an intellectual threat. He's that and he has a plan. In the last two podcasts that we did, we've had villains who are intellectual threats. Yeah. Pure coincidence. <laughs> Pure coincidence. And of course, we're doing Bruce Willis again, but yeah, yeah no, whatever. Yeah. We're on trend. Sam L. Jackson in one, <laughs> and Alec Ribbon in another. Amazing, two amazing actors. All right, well, let's talk. I mean, that's anything else is Hans. I think covered it. Well, you mentioned we're his, you, made, you mentioned his, his really crummy American accent in that scene. Yeah. I mean, his character is faking the accent. Mm. It's allowed to be crummy. I think that's fine. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's shit. But it's like it's meant to be. Isn't but it? he is. He's a German dude, right? German. German. I think it is. Yeah, I I think they don't really talk about. I don't think they specifically say they're like German, but I mean they're speaking German. Yeah. Um, well, didn't we? Did we? We found out, well, didn't we, through research that it's actually gobbledygook, isn't it? Yeah. No. So actually, when when they like in the theatrical release of the film, they're just speaking yeah. gibberish, and then later on when it was released on you know home release VHS DVD etc. Yeah. Um, it was dubbed to well, like with. Yeah. Like actual German words. Yeah, right. So I guess it'd be less offensive. Yeah. So uh, we'll move it. let's move on to some of the supporting characters. Um, oh, actually, no, I just want to throw something out for Hans quickly. Just, you know, reflecting on his his intelligence. Like, you know, think about how, you know, he's, he's, he's always got the plan, but it's not just that. Like, he, when he's on the phone to the, the hostage negotiators and he says, I want a helicopter for the roof, part of the plan, and then he goes, while goose chase... I want these people out of prison. These people out of prison. These people out of prison, and he's and he's saying I just read them in Time magazine. But he's like thinking on the spot and reacting and get getting the job done. But then there's so much like he does his research about you know the the, the head honcho. He, he just does. Yeah. He knows what he's talking about. He's done his proper research. He's well, a, he's basically he's painting a picture of a different type of profile for him. So they're looking yeah. at this guy, being like, who is he? What does he yeah. want? Why does he want this? Why? And they're. They're, it's just this, misdirection. Like the FBI, the police are, are painting this picture, but yeah. that's what he wants. Yeah, that's why he's posing as a terrorist. Yeah, that's why he wants to fake out his death. And it's yeah. like, if they think I'm dead, if they think I was something else, yeah, they're not going to chase and follow me. Mm. If they know that I want this money and that's all I want, yeah, they're going to know I've left with the money and they're going to chase me, pursue me. Yeah. he's got he's got this covered, and you're yeah, he's Brilliant. a smart dude. All right, supporting characters. First I think up, the Al- first one, yeah, Al, Al-, Al- yeah. So, the only competent <laughs> cop in uh, in all of Los Angeles, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. um, so we already met. Okay, yeah. Okay, Al. So Al's played by uh, Reginald Vell Johnson. He's great. What was he in? Family Matters. Was it Family Matters? Oh, was it? I can't confirm that. Was it? Was it the one? Was it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Um, what I'd like to say is that he is like he he he's fantastic in a supporting role, and his character. Is it's kind of like a bit of grounding for um for John through so John's going through all this hell in the tower yeah and his one contact that he's got is Al oh it gives him someone to talk to but it's also it plants him as like his guy in the chair 
Yeah. Even though he's on the he's on the ground like yeah. a walk doggy. But yeah, it's his guy in the it's his guy in the chair offering assistance yeah. away from the action. And it's completely relatable. And like there's a beautiful moment at the end of the movie where Al and John meet for the first time. Spoiler alert, John gets out alive, obviously. What? <laughs> um, but they meet. Those sequels. <laughs> Hence the sequels. Um, but they do meet and they already have this connection because they've They spent, look at each other and, and they, they fall know. in love. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, something like that. But legitimately, <laughs> it, it's, it's more like pure respect and it's like they just have a big hug and hug it out. Yeah, it's and kind of like, like... It's a nice moment. Yeah, well, McLean looks at, at Pal and, you know, like, he's looking like... You got me out of there, like because yeah. of you. Yeah, if it wasn't I'm for out, you, my wife's out. We're safe. These people are safe. Yeah, it's because of you. You've done. You've done all the effort. You've, you've done all the work on the outside. Um, and speaking of wife, we got um, Holly Gennaro, Gennaro McLean. No relation to uh, <laughs> to Gennaro from Jurassic Park, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> always, always gonna throw always that in. Played in. by Bonnie Bedelia. Um, and she's fine, I guess. Yeah. No, she's fine. Like, and for the most part, her character specifically. Um, you know, is a strong character. Like she, she stands up to Hans Gruber. She's, yeah. I mean, she doesn't get aggressive or try and fight him or anything, but she, she's headstrong with him. Yeah. She like there's that moment where she goes in and she gives him a list of requests, yeah. respectfully, and says, you know, there are needs and necessities yeah. of and the situation. I'm doing this because you killed the boss. So kind of thing, as in like put, putting a stand forward and saying. Taking taking control and saying, yeah. I don't want to be doing this. I'm, I'm talking to you to. because you've killed somebody. That's on you. That's it. And he like, respects that. He goes, okay, we can do that. In the first half of the movie, this is pretty much how she is. Mm. And it's it's quite good. It's it's, it's quite strong. But by the, in the second half, she does unfortunately become that damsel in distress. Yeah. Like, And not that she is, is a damsel in distress, but she's put in that situation where, you know, she's taking... I mean, she was a hostage before, yeah. but she's actually physically taken, and it's more direct, like because of the personal connection to McLean yeah. when that's all revealed. So yeah, she's just put in that position where she can no longer be that headstrong character because mm. she. And it, it would have been nice where, like, to have her be play a more active role, I guess, in maybe yeah. you know maybe assisting, yeah, just a little bit more. Maybe it's a big ask, but even in the second movie, it's, it's it is the eighties. In the second movie, it's the same thing, but she's sitting on that plane, and that's all she's kind of doing. Yeah, you know, she's in the situation. She's still another person to be at risk in that. Yeah, situation. she's her character is a motivation for yeah. John McClane. Yeah, it's it's not as much that she's not an active thing, and even in the first half where she's headstrong, a lot of it is just them sitting around. Like, yeah. to, but maybe a must. But she's taking control of the situation. I, I mean, just I mean, good effort. Yeah, good effort. <laughs> I like what we get. Sign our times though, I think. But anyway, moving forward. We've got one other supporting character we're throwing out there. And it's Argyle, who is a limo driver who gets marooned in the basement. Um, Argyle's played by Devereux White. I like that name. Devereux White. So he's... He's cool. He's the comic relief, I suppose. He's listening to his tunes. Yeah. Not picking up the phone. It is funny, though, because he sits on the phone talking to his to his girlfriend yeah. or whatever. And there's action happening around that he's just not even... He's oblivious to it. doesn't get it. He's a bit of an idiot, though. Yeah, but that's okay. He's I mean, young. it's like... He's here. Yeah, oh, he gets it. Oh, he has his redeeming moment at the end where he drives. He, he his ta- takes, takes. Yeah, what's his? He, but he takes out. Um, what's his name? The computer dude. The he, computer dude. He gets <clears> it done. So, um, so you know, and Argyle's Argyle's great. You're right. He is really there for comic relief. Um, he's just a bit funny. Um, it also he also does a bit of exposition. So as he's dropping McLean in the limo to the um to the tower, he's kind of asking him more about his backstory. So he's kind of facilitating the exposition and getting that stuff done too. Yeah. There's actually whilst you mentioned exposition, there's quite a lot in those opening scenes. Yeah, definitely. From McLean on the on the plane yeah. 
sort of interaction there with in the limo with Argyle. Talking then, about marriage, talking about yeah. yeah, all of that stuff. And then as he gets to the Nakatomi building, well, you know, like he reads his wife's name and yeah. you know, there's more there. It just That's right. Things unfolding, there's little bits of information. Just snippets. It's, it's that old school exposition movie, that we don't get anymore. Again, we love it. Like the movie's showing us, not mm. just telling us. It's not yeah. just two people having a conversation. I mean, it is. See, but now, it's nowadays more than you get just, nowadays you get movies that give you that exposition, but it's almost it's through characters giving narration without it actually being narration. It's like they're talking to us, but they're talking to the, each other. Or sometimes it literally is just narration for yeah. the hell of it. Just There's because no because we're it. dumb. Because it's we it's it's just easier to spoon feed the yeah. audience, and this movie does the the better version of it. Oh, absolutely! It's, it's it's just the old school filmmaking. Um, now we're going to move on to something else in a sec, but want to throw out quickly this movie as well. One and a real positive thing about it is the chemistry between bad guys. Too many to name. Don't worry. Don't we got to talk about Carl though. Oh, Carl's yeah. Okay, <laughs> Carl. We can talk about Carl. Um, Carl. Alexander Gaduno. Gaduno. He's the he's the one with the long blonde hair, and Correct. he gets angry when his brother gets uh, sanded up. His neck broken, <laughs> and then appears in an elevator with you know it written on his shirt. Ho ho ho! I have a machine gun. Yeah, very funny in a really dark, sinister way. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so yeah, then he all of a sudden goes on a vendetta for the rest of the movie, trying to kill John in re- in revenge. And then you do have a couple of standouts. Um, I don't have their names in front of me at the moment. But, but you mentioned the tech guy like opening the safe. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, he's sitting there typing away, sweating and stuff. But there's, but there's also there's, <laughs> pl- there's plenty of like just charisma, like the way that they act together and they have a dialogue, even though it's gibberish. Like they just they act like a coherent, and all of them have speak, all of them have the like verbal roles, even if it's one line, they all get to say something. Yeah, like you said, like without writing it down, I wouldn't remember any of their names. And you don't need but, to, but you can watch it for their yeah, knowing that they're. I know who they are on screen when yeah, I'm watching them. That's right. And that's the important thing, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, yeah, going, going into this movie, if you're going to watch it again, you can just appreciate that they put a little bit of extra effort in developing those characters. And usually you just get henchmen. Or, yeah. you know, red shirts from Star Trek just getting killed everywhere. <laughs> Whereas these guys, they all die, but they all have character. There's that one, that scene with that guy on the table. <laughs> it's great. But Clay shoots him from underneath. But he's, and he says that, oh, what does he say? He goes, oh, thanks for the advice. Because he says, you should never hesitate. The guy's yeah. standing. So that's what I mean. Even a dumbass bad guy henchman still gets a line. Where they usually don't get that. Yeah, that's a good line. It is a good line. He says, he says you should never hesitate. John well, shoots Mc- him and he says, thanks, I guess bro. McLean has the better, McLean has the actual good line, I suppose. Oh, he's but... got lines all over the shop. All right. Um, let's keep moving forward. We've got heaps of stuff to cover. Score. Michael Kamen's score. Um, so he, he's a regular... Um, collab with Mutianen, um and also Richard Donner as well. So Richard Donner is the director of the Lethal Weapon series and so you do see uh, Michael Kamen's influence um, in both McTiernan movies, Die Hard, Die Hard with Vengeance and Last Action Hero. But you also see it, um, him you know, make this kind of appearance in um, Le- the Lethal Weapon series as well and if you you know, broadly speaking, they kind of have both the same really atmospheric sound to them. Yeah, actually, I mean, they're again, not they're not scores to remember; they're scores to make you feel in the moment. Yeah, well, uh, it's also it's it's a bit of that. And it's also like the '80s action genre mm. of you know, like those big sounds, like those horns. Yeah, and the, you know, like the like. Yeah, there's a lot of that, mm. but it's it's and also fitting. the subtle the it's subtle melodies work. behind it. But also, this has got an amazing. Um, a groovy little um, soundtrack to it as well. So all those um, Christmas songs. There's Christmas songs. <laughs> well, we'll talk. We'll talk about that later. No, we'll there's also that. there's orchestral like 
Christmas jingles and stuff yeah, in there. Because it is a it is a Christmas party. I mean, there are Christmas orchestra. party. Of course, there'd be that music. It's, yeah. it's just the it, setting. It makes it makes complete sense. But it does incorporate itself into the score. Yeah. It doesn't just play as background music. It, yeah. It, it becomes part of it. It feeds off it and it, it blends. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we've covered a, a fair chunk already, but we're gonna, we've got heaps to go. Let's have a quick break. What do you reckon? Hi, I'm Luke. And I'm Jason. And we are the guys from That Film Stew. Do you like movie reviews and want to keep up to date with the latest in movie and TV news? Then That Film Stew is the podcast for you. Join us every two weeks for some good times, laughs, and firm opinions on the things we love. That's right. There's a new podcast released every two weeks on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as That Film Stew Podcast. Or head to our website, thatfilmstewpodcast.weebly.com. That Film Stew Podcast. Listen, comment, follow, share. And we're back. All right, jumping straight back into that. Um, now, we've already mentioned this a little bit, but we're going to quickly breeze through it. This movie had a profound effect on the action movie genre for its time. Um, now, it recreated what the format is. For the next decade following this movie, pretty much the action movie format followed where you're following a lone, everyday dude, hence Bruce Willis, John yeah. McClane, and he's taking on a colourful terrorist, and it's usually in an isolated setting. So if you stick those three things together, you get Die Hard. Stick those three things together, you get Speed. You get Fashion <laughs> 57. You get all of those kind of movies. Yeah, you're right. A colourful terrorist, yeah. and then that every man. Yeah, just a dude. Just a, every guy. He's usually law enforcement, but it doesn't matter. It's just an average <laughs> kind of guy. Every Liam Neeson action movie ever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> He's except, an ex-FBI, ex-cop. Except better. But anyway. Um, hey, now, some Liam Neeson movies are... They're real good. Yeah. Oh, taken, I haven't. I haven't taken. I haven't taken a liking film. to any of them. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Wow. All right. <laughs> well, everyone liked that one. Um, all right. So um, it influenced the branding of action films to come. Um, now, with the invention of the moniker, we mentioned it before, but want to definitely comment on here: Die Hard on a something. spaceship. Give me an example of that. Uh, Lost in space. Yeah, why not? No, <laughs> no, I don't. No, know. It doesn't work. But, no, there's going to be but something. Speed, Die Hard on a Bus, Pass Fifty Seven, Die Hard on a Plane. Um, even, even it gets got to a point really in the late nineties where, or mid to late nineties, where you're talking um, Die Hard on Island, which was The Rock. You know those kind of those kind of movies. Oh, that's like Welcome to the Jungle and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. The Rock, as in the movie with Sean Connery in it. Oh, like the movie The Rock. <laughs> yeah, you bloody idiot. All right. Um, so, but then it, that started to transition away when we started moving into those late ninety movies that had more special effects driven things. So when you start getting Matrixy and all of that, yeah, which was nineteen ninety eight, but it feels like it was a lot later. But it wasn't. I suppose that's where things drift away a little bit. It becomes more about the action yeah. and the effects and the scenes and the shots, and the set pieces as opposed stuff. to yeah, the set pieces as opposed to them being an element. Yeah, that's right. Of the, it's weird. Like the action should only be an element of the action movie. Mm. Where you, a better film is where you have those strong characters, like you get in this movie, yeah. with a well-developed character, a relatable character, um, mm. well-developed, a cool villain, villain yeah. like, and Who, yeah, and then some supporting characters are fun along the way as well. That's right. Now moving forward, now we're going to get to the big stuff, the deep stuff, the dark stuff. The real important... The reason we're here. Yeah, really. This is the only reason you're really listening anyway, so... It's Die Hard a Christmas movie. Is it? <laughs> we got it. We got... Ladies and gentlemen, we have evidence. We have no evidence and we have yes evidence. Um, from the no camp, straight up. And we've got to say this, even though... Well, well you guys, you, you take this as you will. Bruce Willis himself 
has said during his uh, Comedy Central roast in July 2018 last year, he said, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's a goddamn Bruce Willis movie. Take that as you will. Now, we can take that literally and say, okay, look, confirmed, done. The the man himself, John McClane, he's stated it. But it's also a comedy roast. He's having a laugh, and obviously he's, ta- he's saying it in a It's kind of more his own bravado. He's like, yeah. and he's also, screw everything else, it's my movie. It's he's also got a else. personal motivation here, so a little bit skewed on the bias mm, there. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, I mean, that's a bit of no, but let's just take it as you wish. Look, most people, I mean, it's been stated, people have said mm. that this is not a Christmas movie as the film doesn't feature, I suppose, like traditional... Like a traditional a traditional Christmas lesson, yeah. um, or involve the celebration of Christmas as a plot point, yeah. Um, because this movie can be doesn't have to happen now. It says Christmas party, but uh, it can be set any time of year. End of financial year party, yeah. the Easter wrap up. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't have July to be. 4th. And the, and the idea is, and this is why it distances itself from a Christmas movie is it could happen any time of the year, and it still wouldn't affect the overall plot or outcome. So, yeah. yeah. But I mean, on that argument, you know, you can look at some other movies that are very highly considered Christmas movies. Take Home Alone, for instance. Yeah. The family go on holiday or vacation or whatever. Yes, it is set at Christmas, mm. and people consider it one of the greatest Christmas movies ever. But me myself, if it was just during the summer holidays, it doesn't necessarily have to be set during Christmas, and you'd get the same movie. Mm. Like it could just be there. They want to go on their family vacation in. You know, Paris in summer. Yeah, like so. Yeah, so look. So let's um. Okay, that's the no stuff. Take that as you wish. Let's look at the yes camp now. In two thousand and ten, um, by Empire, this was voted as greatest Christmas movie of all time. You, you don't. Know, it's, it's Empire. Can you, you debate don't with Empire? Fight the Empire. You cannot. You do not go up against the Empire. Luke learned that decades ago. Skywalker. Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> what else we got? Um. Well, the film obviously occurs on Christmas Eve, as yeah. we said. You know, the what kind of new... employer hosts a massive piss-up on Christmas Eve? What kind of irresponsible... An obviously, employer, there's a corporate bodies who just don't have families. An employer who hires people with no family. Yeah, which is why she pretends <laughs> not to like, have family. I feel like, um, yeah, McQuan's wife is the only one with, a, with kids. That's um, right, everyone else is just on cocaine. And yeah, as we oh, no, there's before, someone about to have kids. <laughs> as we mentioned before, the setting is... At a Christmas party. Yeah, there's that pregnant bird. <laughs> yeah. Of course. The film features bloody sleigh bells. During some of the transitions and cues. Yeah, yeah right. which we should have mentioned during the, the score, but you know. Oh, well, that's fine. Oh, well, this stuff um, this stuff features in the score and soundtrack as well. It features Christmas songs. It features uh, the song Winter Wonderland and Let It Snow. Let It Snow. Let It Snow. Um, and Argo also plays Run DMC's Christmas in Hollis, which he blatantly says is a Christmas song as well. So he's got. They've got Christmas themes through it. Um, now here's a big one. In December 2017, the screenwriter Stephen E. D'Souza stated by Twitter that the film actually is a Christmas movie. That's the when, dude who I wrote think the bloody when thing. When the screenwriter says it, how can you argue with the man? You know. Yeah. But maybe it's all up to the producers, the distributors, the studios, the studio behind the film. 20th Century Fox. What do they say? They've released a special Die Hard Christmas edition. Home media release. They did it in December 2018, um, obviously to celebrate the film's 30th anniversary. Yeah. Um, they included a recut trailer to present the film as a heartwarming Christmas story. Now, that can be taken two ways. That can be taken as the studio going, God, it's a Christmas movie. Or it could be, ah, there's a dialogue about it being a Christmas movie. Let's, Let's cash in money. on that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think it is, you know? 
Look, what's your, what's your what, what camp are you sitting in? It all comes down to this. John McClane's wife is named Holly. <laughs> Case closed. Oh, yeah, sorted. Okay, look, I'm convinced. I think it is a Christmas movie. And you know what? I don't care if it was meant to be one or if it isn't. I I consider it it is. No, look, in, in all seriousness, I I would say, I like to say, look, it, it's, it's a Christmas movie. I'll happily watch it every Christmas. But I watch it any time of the year, to be honest. It's not restrictive. I'll watch Home Alone whenever, you know? It doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, at the end of the day... It's all funny games when when you come to this debate. You know, there's no there's no right or wrong answer to it. Yeah. And yeah, like that, at the end of the day, it really doesn't actually matter. Yeah, mind um, you, the screenwriter saying like Stephen um, D'Souza saying. So I mean, you really can't argue with it. That's that's because he freaking formulated the <laughs> world. Can't. He created the world. Anyway, okay. Well, let, let's um let's move on to something uh something else. Standout scenes. Let's talk a little bit about uh, least favorite and favorite scenes. What do you got, Jace? It's always hard with with least favorite, especially with with a movie that oh, I've got one. I haven't got anything specifically. I suppose during my my most recent viewing of it, mm. as much as I enjoy the action and stuff that was going on, yeah, it's somewhere sort of between the second and third act where there's sort of McLean just kind of running around a bit. There's you know sort of just picking off different different henchmen. Yeah, it does kind of get a little bit repetitive in terms of like just the action that you're seeing. You know, there are some scenes that are very unique and so memorable and I love yeah. them and I'll talk about them when we get to our favourite scenes. But yeah, there's a bit where it's sort of just like bang, bang, oh, <laughs> crawling on the ground, running around, this mm. guy's screaming, this guy's doing something. And, you know, maybe it's because I was a little bit tired last time on my last viewing, but, you know, I was kind of like, oh, come on, move on to that next scene, you know, move on to the scene where Hans Gruber, you know, meets up with him and he puts yeah. on that accent, you know, like, let's get the story I did moving. find myself kind of hanging out for yeah. things, for things I knew were coming. It stalled a little bit where it's just McLean in the building yeah. doing things. Once he starts interacting with Gruber and, you know, the, the plot thickens a little bit and mm. uh, Gruber finds out about him and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, stuff really, stuff, you know, maybe, maybe it's after when the FBI gets there. It sort of kicks into gear. Yeah. But other than that, you know, like, things play out really well there's a lot of strong scenes mm. uh, oh there's that one character you know like the other employee with uh, with Holly you know gives her the watch you know oh, like, the coke yeah he's dude. smoking coke like most of his scenes Jeez, are, he got he copped it didn't he he got a little bit annoying at some, so yeah, yeah I guess his scenes are probably no, a but little he was, bit weaker well, but he played he, he played that part like that was his role was to be that annoying character yeah. to sort of get his comeuppance when the time was right so no no out, no standout least favourites for you then not particularly like nothing's overly bad like okay. it's a fun ride it is a fun ride well I've got what I I do have to acknowledge it because I freaking hate it. Um, so my least favorite. It's not really a scene. It's more, almost an act. Almost nah. So um, look, anything to do with the police and the FBI. Oh, anything yeah, fair to do with that. So I freaking hate the FBI agents. They're just cliche. Oh, this is Johnson and this is Special Agent Johnson. Johnson, Johnson. So it's the interactions, mm. it's the, the just, dialogue between them. They're freaking idiots. And the police chief, look, we said it at the start, Roger Ebert like, said it was detra- distracting. Yeah, he's not, wrong. he's not wrong. Um, it's, He's not wrong. He's a f- freaking moron, this police chief. <laughs> but I do honestly think that this was incredible. It was intentional. And that's the way I look at it. And so it doesn't detract from for me because I think that they're absolute idiots because they make... Powell look better. That's the intention. Yeah, they, it's to they screw up so many times, including they die, they freaking die, <laughs> and they will deserve it, deserve it. But 
they screw up so damn clearly in order to make Pals a much more wise, much more smart character. Yeah, definitely. They they illustrated an incompetence with those characters yeah. to put Pal up on a pedestal to escalate him. Yeah. So, but but anyway, if we're talking least favourites, anything with the with Johnson Johnson in it, hate him. Hate him. But like you said, it doesn't detract from no. your overall view of the movie. It's just no. an element that it's like, yeah. Eh. But but yeah, like you said, there's a reason for it. Maybe it's it could have been esca- like maybe it should have been executed a little bit better, yeah. and not so bluntly. I guess. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they are. It's like eighty like slapstick almost. You yeah, know? Like yeah. That sort of the caricatures of, of of shitty law enforcement. You know, that's what they are. <laughs> of of co- incompetent authority. Yeah. Um, right. Give me favorite scenes. What's yours? Oh, oh look! One of the best action scenes that you get is there's that helicopter. Yeah. You know that there's that helicopter crashing down on the building. There's McLean with the fire hose wrapped around his waist. Yeah. And he swings down and he smashes into the glass and yeah. he lands on the glass and he's like in pain. Yeah. He's not just getting up and like getting on with it. Like he does, but yeah. it takes him a moment. He's really feeling that pain. That whole scene, everything that's unfolding there. But it's beautiful. Wonderful. It's beautiful, isn't it? Because he he jumps off, and then he swings around off this rope. And any other action movie, he would smash through the glass. Yeah. As he hits it, but he doesn't. This time he hits it hard. It doesn't work. And it doesn't break. Oh, and then he has to jump it a couple of times. One percent of like realism, where it's like, like he's kind of got to actually put some pressure into it. Yeah, it's good. Well, it, and and it made it. But then he gets inside, and then. He's laying on a on the piece of glass that he's just smashed through, which is a slab, not broken glass, and it starts falling, and it's all falling, and he's and like that's panicking to get himself undone. So I think that's a great scene because it's real, and it just gets worse. Yeah, like it just, the tension builds. It's just, yeah, it's right. Bruce Willis actually performed that stunt where he swings down. Yeah, right. I mean, it was fake glass, and they used a lot of they spent a lot of money on like sort of manufacturing um, this fake sort of tempered glass stuff that yeah. they could use in these props without actually yeah. injuring um, their actors and their performers and stuff. Yeah. But Bruce Willis, he does actually swing down, but he's come out and said, he's like, if he knew how scary and dangerous that yeah. stunt was, he wouldn't have done it. Yeah, right. He regrets doing I mean, he likes how it turned out and he's like, sweet, but mm. he's like, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> he wouldn't do it again, he says. <laughs> That's brilliant. All right, well, my favourite, I've got two, but I'll be quick with them, okay? Um, my... There's no rush, mate. There's no rush. <laughs> <laughs> um... Well, Sammy's the one looking at this bloody watcher and I. Um, so, uh, one of my favourites is um, it's got to be the moment where Cocaine Freak, whatever his name is, um, is being kind of Cocaine Freak. He, he, he thinks that he's helping Gruber. Yeah. And he's in that scenario, and everyone knows. The viewer knows. Gruber knows. McLean knows. Everyone knows that he is setting himself up to be murdered, and you just have to watch it unfold. And the way, the way that Alan Rickman plays the role, and he's just like tolerating him and Carl he, both just tolerate he knows this he's guy. Get something out of him. Yeah, and he knows he doesn't care about this guy, and he'll happily and kill as him as soon as he does get that information. Yeah. But it's not just like so. Yeah, cocaine dude dies, but it's not just that. It's also the realization when he no- realizes when he it dawns on him that he's lost control of the negotiation, mm-hmm. and it's like you just feel it. You're like that is terrifying, and yeah. John's panicking. And going, what are you doing? Get out of there! Don't do it! And then it's like too late. Bang, gone. It's a, it's a impactful, beautiful scene, an absolutely amazing scene. And another one, one of my favourite scenes, and this probably wouldn't be everyone's favourite, but it's just for the whack it has, is the scene where John's barefoot. He's hiding. They're in a, they're in an office, and he's having everyone shoot at all the glass around him. Yeah. But 
that doesn't happen intentionally. They're all trying to shoot him, and he's shooting back. And then Gruber turns around to Carl and says, "No, he knows he's barefoot because he's met him." He says, "No, shoot the glass." And it's just that clever little switch where yeah. you're like, "Ooh, you're really thinking about this." And then the trail of blood that comes from him, like going to the exit to the bathroom, and that whole sequence of pulling glass out the feet. It's just all so visceral and real, and oh, and it's like it's he's almost defeated, like in that moment. Apparently, in that scene where he pulls the glass out of his yeah. foot, there was supposed to be the well, there was the a sound, sound effects, yeah. um, but apparently it was too gross. Yeah, it's like it is <laughs> already bad enough; it doesn't need. And it, it is every time he does it, I'm like, oh, I cringe a little bit. But the the John McClane no shoes, bloody feet oh. is such an iconic, yeah. I guess. Uh, Trait to his character, like to it me, is to die me hard. a trait. Well, that's what I'm saying. To me, that is what defines Die Hard as Die Hard. Is he is literally dying hard. He's like he's not. He's putting up a fight. Everything <laughs> yeah. goes wrong. He's jumping off a building and he's almost dying that way. And he's walking. He's losing all his blood and he's got all his feet cut up and he's jumping out of elevators. Like it's hard to make him die. Yeah. He's and he, dying and he has no shoes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He's got no shoes. Um, so anyway, that those two are my favourite. Like they stand out when they come up, when they happen during the movie. It always grips me. It always I mean, grips me. There's so just they're talking about like the, like it's that trait, and but, Powell's meeting at the end when they're having a bit of a hug. Oh, that it's is like nice. a nice moment. But there's there's so many I guess like iconic moments. Uh, one being you know like with with the bloody feet. Mm. There's the when he has the gun. You know, strapped to his back, oh, yeah. and he reveals it. You know, it's so iconic. Yeah, there's him crawling through the vents, and you know, he's oh, with just, the lighter, he's just which basically is on the cover of every DVD like, now. Yeah. Like, oh God, what's the what's what the line? We're gonna have a good time. I was like, yeah, yeah. come to the party, have a good time. I love it. Like, he's a bitch. And of course, I've got to mention again, just Gruber falling out of Nakatomi yeah. Tower. That just him falling. I mean, they're right. Yeah. It's not Christmas until yeah. bloody that until happens. Until fallen down the plaza, yeah. And, I mean, I think this is this is true. They they lied to him when he was doing <laughs> yeah. the stunt. It was yeah. a 25-foot drop. They mm. said they'd drop him on three. They dropped him on, like, one or two or something. Yeah. So his face that he makes, that Alan Rickman falling face, Hans Gruber falling to his death, is a real, real expression. shock. Yeah. Expression of shock, expression of terror. What is it? And they intentionally filmed that last mm. for him, just in case they ticked him off and he yeah. didn't want to come back. Oh, terrible. But, but you know, worth it. You know what? I've had that happen to me before. In in New Zealand, I was on a swing. It's very similar to that. And they dropped me. They said they'll count kiwis. to five. They would do that. Would have Bloody kiwis. <laughs> but they said they'll drop me on five and they drop me on two. And, so, and they take a photo of you. And so I've now got my face immortalized. That like, ugly, ugly... I'm, uh, sure it's, I'm sure it's glorious. So I can imagine Rickman being a bit dark on it. All right, well, look, we've covered a whole bunch. We've covered a favourites, least favourites, whole or everything. I reckon it's time for a quiz. What do you reckon? Let's get it done. And I... Cool. You're quizzing me. I'm quizzing you. Yes! Oh, actually, I'm not that excited. <laughs> I, think, I think you're going to make it too hard for me. All right. Um, enough. So... Just going to get the, the timer ready with uh, young Sammy over there. I feel like we always stun him when we say we're doing the quiz. Like, he doesn't know it's coming. No, I think it's just because we our pacing's all over the shop. So he's just like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, but we're, it looks like we're ready to go. He's got given us a thumbs up. JC, are you ready? Oh, yes. All right. Be easy on me, please. All right. We're going to start in three, two, one, go. At the start of the film, what does John McClane take out of the overhead compartment? Big teddy bear. A big teddy bear indeed. How long has John McClane been with the NYPD? Shit. Uh, 11 years? Oh, correct. Oh, cool. What floor is the party on? 
Oh shit, 30 seconds? Incorrect. Damn. What gift did Holly receive from her company? A watch. Specifically? A Rolex. Well done. What truck did the terrorists use? There's a branding on it. Oh, it's a moving van, I think. Ah, incorrect. Oh, okay. How many henchmen did Hans Gruber bring? 13. Incorrect. What 12, treat? 12, that's 12. Uh, yeah, uh, it's 12. What treat does Al pick up for his wife before? Twinkies. Twinkies, indeed. What did? What name did McLean use when speaking to... T- Roy. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. know what I was going to say. <laughs> How many kids does Al have? None, but one's coming. Correct. And what name does Hans Gruber use to impersonate a Nakatomi employee? Oh, shit, 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 shit. I can't remember. No, it's not there. No, no, we've still got a couple seconds. Oh, incorrect. Bill. <laughs> oh! What the bill? Oh, that's the time I too. just <laughs> missed. Our, oh, right. Was that it answer bill? It was is bill. bill. Specifically, Bill Clay. Oh, because I thought Clay, but I couldn't. I wasn't sure if that was his first name. All right. Um, what did I get wrong? You did pretty well. You even answered the question. Um, what name did McLean use when speaking to, to speaking to Al? I wrote it wrong, so I stumbled. <laughs> Roy, Roy, oh, Roy, well Roy. done. Um, Hans Gruber had twelve henchmen. Yeah, very close. Pacific Couriers was on the truck. Yeah, okay. Um, in the thirtieth floor. I thought thirty-two. thirty seconds floor. under construction. Yes, so you go up to the thirty-second yeah. floor. Actually, on that, so okay. they filmed those scenes. The Nakatomi building is actually filmed on the floor, like. It's the Fox Plaza. Yeah. Um, it was actually under construction during the filming of yeah, right. this. So they used the real unfinished 33rd and 34th floors for those scenes. That's they incredible. added a few like props and yeah. settings and stuff like that. But mm. those those floors where they're unoccupied, it's actually the real building. That's amazing. Um, obviously, the party room floor, the 30th floor, mm. is just a studio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, mate, well done with that. Yeah, I remember quiz. that. It was like an eight. Not bad. Seven. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So that was ten. That was ten questions in sixty seconds. Now let's rate out of five in sixty seconds. <laughs> How we go? <laughs> um, you go first. Okay. Die Hard is a solid film. Yes, it is. Um, there's things I can pick at it. I mean, it's not perfect, but I mean, it it was the first of its kind in terms of modern action films. Yeah. You know, like it was doing things that action movies at the time weren't doing mm. you got that relatable character that every man to an extent um, yeah. a good character great exposition at the start mm. some great action scenes some iconic moments music is great there's a lot going on you know there's a few yeah, caricature characters you mm. know stereotype kind of things maybe they could have done more with the wife but overall she's pretty good yeah um, Bonnie well done um <laughs> No, overall, you get that great interaction. Like, John McClane is such a great, iconic action hero character. Indeed. And you've got you've got Powell as well. Yeah. He's made Al along the way with Alan Rickman as a fantastic, oh, can we say one of the greatest I think memorable villains besides Darth Vader and... But they're in a different league. Yeah, different. I mean, it's completely different. We're talking human. He's a grounded. Earth. He's a grounded villain. Oh, he was at the end. Oh, really? He was <laughs> very nice. Splat. Wow. Um, there's 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 great stuff, but a few things I can pick at, and you know maybe at some point it does crack because at the end of the day it's still an action movie, yeah. and maybe that doesn't always appeal to me. Um, it's a solid four. Yeah, cool. Out of five for me. Cool. Very strong, very strong film. Cool, cool, cool. Well, <laughs> Brooklyn Nine Nine little thing. Cool, 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 cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the thing you, that's you go a, to with Brooklyn Nine Nine. Cool, okay, cool, 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 cool. cool. <laughs> um, 
So, look, my, my take on this is this is a fantastic film. I agree with what everyone said about it transforming the genre. Um, I wasn't really, obviously, was too young prior to this to really enjoy or really even get an get like a feeling for the Schwarzenegger and Stallone kind of outings. It was only after watching this that I saw them and that actually make them look even worse, to be honest. But um, I love this. Bruce Willis's performance here, it is grounded. We say that, but like all of his mannerisms, all of the, there's just so many little things throughout this movie. Like when he's just talking to himself and he's angry and he's he doesn't know what to do and you feel, you know, empathy for him. You're like, yeah, I don't know what I'd do in that scenario. Like, what the heck would I do? And mm. he's like, and he's hit, kicking himself, going, "Come on, John, what are you going to do? What the fuck are you going to do, you asshole? What's happening? What have you got yourself into here?" And it's real, you know. I, and I appreciate every single time. Uh, Alan Rickman's performance is incredible. I love the performance of all the supporting cast, um, especially we touched on it, but especially the villains, like all of the um, the henchmen, the mercenaries, whatever you want to call them, the terrorists. We we'll call them terrorists. That's what they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but they they just have this chemistry where they really bring themselves and their crime and everything that they're doing to life, and it just makes them so much more interesting. Whereas usually you just see cannon fodder, whereas here you've got a whole cast full of people, some good, some bad, but all of them are engaging, and I like that. It means that for most of the movie, other than when the FBI and the chief police are on the screen. You're interested in what's going on. I love it. Anyway, this movie, oh, it's a solid... You say four, I reckon four and a half. I'm, I'm only that. taking a, fo- a 0.5 off because <laughs> of stupid FBI agents. Not bad, so a four and a 4.5. Yeah, definitely. This is a brilliant movie. Anybody who hasn't seen it is really, really... Oh, you've done yourself a disservice. Go out and see this bloody movie. <laughs> you can had, every year. You've watch had 30 it. 30 years to do it. It's Freaking go out and see it. Maybe don't go watch the... Oh, you could watch number two's good and three's two's good. good. No, three. I think three's better than two. Four's good. Yeah, four's fine. I like it. Timothy Oliphant's a good... Was, he's a good villain. It's he's... actually better the second time I watched it, surprisingly. Yeah. Good I really villain? Like... Elephant? Yeah, I think so. And um, what's his Fun daughter's... Name what's his daughter's name? What's the actress that plays his daughter in the fourth one? She's in um, she's in the Cloverfield Lane movie. That girl. Oh, Elizabeth Winstead. Yep. So she's, the, she's his daughter, Lucy. True that. Yeah, anyway, interesting. Um, okay, cool. I think we're done. What do you reckon? Yeah, that indeed was our rewind to 1988. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I it was. Um, so we hope you enjoyed this episode of Rewind and Review. Um, Jason and I, we're looking forward to bringing you more of them. Uh, any feedback, either positive or negative, or any rewind requests, you can email us at thatfilmstudiopodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on either That Film Studio or Rewind and Review's Facebook pages. Like and follow these pages whilst you're at it. Uh, absolutely. Um, now subscribe. Leave us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes as it does help others like yourselves find this podcast. Now we've launched... Our, new website. Our new website. Yay! Um, we neglected it for a bit. We let it kind of just like die in the ground. Mm. Um, it's back... The latest episodes are posted. There's a backlog of, uh, a backlog of old episodes that we're catching up on. They're coming. They're coming. But eventually they will all be up there. 
But everything's available on SoundCloud anyway. Yeah. But in the meantime, check it out. What's the address, like mate? Oh, yeah, I probably should say that. Thatfilmsyoupodcast.com. Yeah. Nice and easy, to the point. Not.com.au. Not we're, not, we're not sticking with Aussies. We're, we're international. We're international. International, baby. International. Uh, I'm not really sure how you actually purchase a .au website, but <laughs> .com seemed easier. Irre- irrelevant. Um, so, yeah, we're busy behind the scenes, um, locking in our uh, 2019 episode list, as well as getting the old episodes up on that new website. Um, it's going to be a big year. Um, we're starting off with a bang, though. What are we doing, Jason? Willy Wonka. And the Chocolate Factory. Heck yeah, we are. So we're going to find a little bit of... We're going to view a little bit of Paradise. <laughs> I don't know. Bit of Gene Wilder. Uh, yeah, we're going to get Gene Wilder. Get a bit of Gene Wilder. Yeah. Willy Wonka, a bit of Charlie Bucket, a bit of Golden Tickets, a bit of Oompa Loompas, a bit of... bit of everything. A bit of uh, Gobstoppers. The OG. I'm looking forward to it. A bit of Glass it. Elevators. I can keep going. Oh, don't. We're Bring done. Bring us all. Um, so that's coming up for your listening pleasure now. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. This has been another Rewind and Review. We'll see you on our next trip. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library. 1998. Wrong. No. <laughs> Fuck. You're on the wrong year, oh, mate. Oh, that's all right. 1998. Fuck, man. What have you got written there, mate? It says 88. It does say 88. Holy shit. I'm looking at the fucking notes. Oh, shit.